All right, can anyone remember the name of the series that we're in the middle of? Oh, you're cheating then. Can't, can't speak. Yep, you can't answer either. Yes, Awaken. Uh, the name doesn't actually mean that much, but the concept means everything. This idea of how do we awaken, how do we wake up to the things God is doing? Because we can so often be asleep to them, be unaware of what God is wanting us to understand and take hold of by His grace. And so in that vein, today we're going to talk through a really interesting thing that each of us have to face in one form or another. Um, that some of you, um, or most of you I imagine will dislike doing this, and there might be a couple of you that are quite strange and love doing this. And the question is this, who enjoys confronting another person about an issue? I knew you'd put your hand up. You're a maniac. <laughs> who, who really doesn't like confronting? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have to do a bunch of it because of the nature of my role, but if I was left to my own devices, I wouldn't want to confront anyone about anything. Um, so we need um, to, we, we often find ourselves with a need to confront in a variety of situations. Sometimes at work, things go sideways. And we're the one that has to confront somebody about that. Perhaps it's someone down the chain. Perhaps it's someone up the chain or, or across. Sometimes our relationships get a little bit funky. And we realise, oh, I need to confront someone about this. I don't want to bring it up. This is awkward or I feel um, bad doing it. Or, or sometimes we get hurt really bad. And we grapple with that and we feel like we need to confront out of that. Um, sometimes a person is corrupt or seeking evil or, or wanting to oppress us or others. And we feel that needs to be confronted. I don't want to be the person that does it, but, but we need to, to confront. Sometimes things are just out of line. Somebody says something or does something that we're like, oh, I've got to speak to that person now. I've got to confront them. And it can be really tough and really uncomfortable and really difficult. So we thought it would be really helpful to look at what does God give us through his gospel that will help us confront that will help us face those situations that most of us, except Fiona, wouldn't want to go anywhere near. Yeah, see, I know you're misbehaving back there. That's the Oh, did you? <laughs> um, but increase our confidence in how do we confront, not in a formulaic way. I don't want to give you any sort of formula, but I want to look at what does the gospel give to us? What does God give to us that enables us to go, oh, actually, confronting isn't that bad after all. I can perhaps do it. So to, to help us think through all this, I'm going to give you my punchline straight up. Now, usually, I kind of build to a bit of anticipated crescendo and then launch it and there's cheering and everyone's like, that's amazing. Usually, you don't even realise that the punchline's been delivered. Um, but today, total spoiler alert, we're going to start with the whole point of what we're talking about today and then I'm just going to explore it and unpack it and help it make sense um, with the rest of the time that we've got. So here it is. Three words. Confront not condemn. It's brilliant, isn't it? Like you're like, wow, glad I came today. Confront, not condemn. Can we say that together? Ready? Confront, not condemn. Oh, it's beautiful. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So Jesus came... Not to condemn. There was nothing in his job description, nothing in the way he lived out his life that required him to ever condemn anyone. That was not his role. 
It was the role of, the, of, the, of, of, of Satan to condemn us for what we've done. But Jesus came to save us from what we've done. Not to offer condemnation, but to offer grace. Not to offer enslavement and imprisonment, but to free us to more of what God wants. Now, if you're thinking, okay, so, so what does condemn mean? Can we have like a nice, like punchy catchphrase for that? Well, try this on for size. To condemn is to pass a negative judgment on someone. So past means to speak, to put on, to, to slap onto someone a negative judgment of them, right? That's condemned. So when you hear condemn or condemnation, that's what it's picking up. Um, the actual Greek talks about judging, but with that, that um, nasty slant to it. So not just the discernment of a situation, but a judging of it. So to condemn is to pass a negative judgment. Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus did not come to condemn, to pass a negative judgment. He came to lavish grace and love and goodness on us. To to make a way for somehow us who are broken and messed up and sinful to be reunited with God the Father. That's why Jesus came. And, And so grace, the goodness and love of God, can't condemn. God's grace cannot condemn us. Grace doesn't imprison us to our sin. It sets us free. Grace frees us from our sin. It's sin that condemns us. Now, sometimes you would see this in somebody. You would say something that's uplifting and gracious, but you're confronting someone and their response is to say, you're judging me. You're condemning me. You're putting me down. That's not what's happening. The weight of sin that they're carrying around, the weight of brokenness that they're carrying around is condemning them and they're looking for an escape. And it becomes the escape to say, you're condemning me, God's condemning me. The church is condemning me. Everyone's condemning me and judging me when actually the weight of sin that we hold, that hold, that we carry around on us condemns us and judges us negatively. Grace cannot condemn. Sin condemns. Now God's grace does the opposite of passing a negative judgment, right? God gives us a positive judgment when we deserve a negative judgment. That's why Jesus came. That's the epitome of who Jesus is. So if we start putting ourselves in a position for God's love to flow through us, if we awaken to what God is wanting us to do, to not condemn, but just confront, then we will confront people with love and goodness. Our confrontation of people is framed and only sits in those two places. I have a love for you and what I am saying is good. Not it's good for me, but it's good for you. The goal of our confronting, the goal of our confronting a person should be for them to go, oh, that's what God wants for me. We become people who help others see what God's best is for them. So that they then start to desire what God's best is for them. That's how you know you've confronted really well. When they go, oh, that's what, they might not say it. In fact, they probably won't say it. But their lights turn on of, oh, so that's what God wants me to have. That's God's best for me. And I can start adapting myself to that. That's when you know you've really kicked it out of the park when it comes to, to um, confronting. So Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means those of us that are Christians, that love Jesus, that follow Jesus, there is no condemnation of God upon us. 
But here's the other thing it means. It means condemnation does not belong to us. It is not ours. It's not for us to use. So we can't use it on another. We can't condemn somebody else and justify that in any Christian way because it's not love and it's not goodness. It's not flavoured by grace. So let me show you how this works. A number of years ago, I used to work in a supermarket. And I used to have the Sunday afternoon shift, um, and it was really quiet in the supermarket. And I used to work with a guy, his name was Ash, and we used to um, have a lot of back and forth. Now, right now, where I am with the wisdom that I've accrued in that time space, I would say I probably wouldn't do the same things I did back then. But back then, you know, you're a teenager, young adult, it felt quite funny at the time and we would do things to each other to set each other up in public to look like an idiot and this particular Sunday afternoon he won he got the better of me I'm not sure what he did but he but he got me in a really um I can't remember but did something that caused me to realize I've been defeated and as he victoriously walked across the supermarket, it was quiet, right? Walked across the supermarket, kind of bragging about how smart he'd been and how he'd got one over me, I yelled something out to him. Now, we had to send the kids up first. Sam, don't ever repeat what I'm about to say, okay? Just don't ever do it. Okay, I yelled out <coughs> to him, Ash, you're a prick, right? So I have to say the word because you have to see the um, context of it. Clearly, I was very nervous about saying that because I've got no voice. So I yelled this across the supermarket. He vanishes through the, the, um, the, the um, back, gate, uh, back room doors. And I turn around and there's a lady standing right there. Like, where did you come from? And she speaks and she confronts what I just did. Now, put yourself in the lady's situation. What would you say to me? How would you confront me? Don't tell me, because there's been a lot of confrontation. <coughs> but what, what would you say to me in that situation? When you've just seen everything that took place, what would you say? Now, I'm going to tell you what she said. You can tell me if this stacks up against it. First of all, is what popped into your head, would that have condemned me? <laughs> Dale's like, yeah, 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 nailed it. <laughs> So, so it's a really interesting read, right? And it, oh, that's a real life situation where I could con- confront. What, where, where's my default? Where am I sitting? She says this. I still remember it to this day. It was so horrible. She said, you're that nice boy from the Uniting Church up the road, aren't you? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> then she said, is that really a good way to talk to anyone? It's like, oh, and I'm feeling smaller and smaller. She says, what would others think you stand for and then she walked off like like man touche she has clearly been spending way too much time with Jesus right that was actually the problem this lady was just too on the ball it was was awful because if you hang out with Jesus enough your, your spirit changes from a spirit of condemnation to a spirit of confrontation you go I can confront But I don't need to condemn. I can lead people to where God needs them to be to experience God's best. And I have since never publicly yelled that at anyone. Like she was brilliant. So we confront, not condemn. An effective confrontation 
reveals to a person what God's best is for them. They may not believe it. They may not take it on board. That's for the work and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. What's important is that we do our confrontation really well, that it doesn't have condemnation in it, but it lifts that person close to where God wants them to be. So an effective confrontation reveals to a person what God's best is for them, not not what our best is for them. And that's usually what we take into confrontations. I've been wronged. I need You need to see how much you've wronged me and I need to get this straight with me. You really need to see the damage you've done. And we condemn them, hoping that somehow they will see God's grace and love and promise and all that in the middle of it. See, we have to lay down our need for justice if we want people to see more than just us. It's such a challenging concept. But the scriptures are just laced with it. It's like, oh, that is so difficult to do. It's so hard to do. Confronting others cannot be limited to our fallibility and our selfish desires of our agenda. It's not actually about us. And I know it's really hard, especially when you need, you've been really hurt. Like, I've been really hurt. I need to talk to you about this. I need to confront you about this. We need to confront in such a way that people end up desiring God's desires for their life. See, confrontation is actually about God's agenda and it's not ours. Do you know why? It's because we've died to ourselves. We're dead. Our agenda's gone. Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am now God's. I belong to God's. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you've accepted grace, you belong to Jesus. You belong to God. And your agenda has been swallowed up into God's. Because your agenda cannot save you. And you know this, your agenda, it just just burdens us. Right? It's like, oh, I've got to deal with all this stuff about me. And God says, no, 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 it's dead in me. It's dead. I've put it to death. I've swallowed it up in your grace and I've given you a new creation. I've made you into a new creation. I've given you something new and something beautiful and something that will give you life. I've given you my agenda. And I've empowered you to do it. In fact, so empowered that I'm going to call you ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we've been freed from ourselves. And God says, I'm going to look after you. So you don't have to be so worried about your stuff. Be more worried about my stuff because that will help others. You don't need to help yourself. I'm helping you. I love you. I've got your back. Be my ambassadors. And so an ambassador lived in a foreign land. They were a representative of the king. They were empowered to bring the king's presence to bear on a situation. And they were charged with upholding the affairs or the agenda of the king. Now, an ambassador isn't worried about his own life because he's protected by the king. Ambassadors are literally bulletproof. He's not worried about his own life or his own agenda because he knows God or he knows his king is looking after him. All he has to do is deliver the agenda, the affairs of the king. It's so freeing. 
The Bible tells us not to worry about our stuff. God will worry about that. God will deal with that and help us. Let's worry about the other stuff, the stuff that we are called to confront on God's behalf so that God's best can be known and people can see and move closer to God. We've got much more important things to worry about. The affairs of the king. God has given us his affairs to distribute and to use. So we then go, all right, hang on. If I'm tracking properly, does this mean that if someone hurts me or does evil to me or takes away my rights or is, um, uh, or um, violates something about me or does me a gross injustice, I just need to go, okay, don't worry about it. Is, is that what we're saying? Like, is that what the Bible calls us to do? To go, oh, look, just let it go. Don't confront, just let it go. Well, no, the, the whole, what was our three words that we started with? What were the three words? Try again. You kind of got the right thing. Yeah, confront, not confront. It was a long time ago, Ralph. I've been preaching for ages. Confront, not condemn. Right. So it's not excuse not to confront, but it is this this um, request or requirement that we don't condemn in our confrontation. So we go, all right. So if wrong has been done to me, how do I confront that? What does that look like? What does it feel like? Well, confront a person is seeking God's best for them. And if I do that, I need to relinquish something. I need to let go of the need for my justice requirement to be fulfilled. For things to be done all right with me. Because if things work out perfectly, right? So I go in and I I challenge someone, I confront them and I condemn them. I make them feel awful. And then they go, I am so sorry. I had no idea. Please forgive me. Do you feel like this is amazing? You kind of feel like, oh, good, glad we got that sorted out. You don't get a sense of salvation that comes from that. But when you engage with someone, you help them see something that they've been missing about God and who God wants them to be, you both are saved in that action because you become a conduit of God's grace, an offerer of God's grace. You experience God's grace to offer it and they become a recipient of God's grace. It's this beautiful thing, but it's so countercultural, it's so difficult to do. But that's what we're called to, and we're called to it because we don't need to worry about ourselves. We've died to ourselves. We've become an ambassador of Christ. So the gospel challenges us, challenges us to let go of our agenda. And so instead of letting someone have it when they've hurt us, We start to think about, all right, I've been hurt by this person, but what is God's best for them? Because God's best is not that they go around hurting people, right? That's not God's best. So it doesn't mean shying away from this stuff. It goes, hang on, if I take on a different perspective, how do I help them see what God's best is for them? Then that starts to bless them and encourage them and uplift them and draw them closer to God and open them up to grace. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we've been empowered to do. Because that person hurting you, that's not God's best for them. But neither is you condemning them for it. And that's what we need to pull up on. So we're going to have a look at Jesus in action. I had the the brilliant privilege of videoing Jesus in action. And we're about to watch um, what that looked like. Thanks, Sam. Of olives. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach them. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. She was actively sleeping with another woman's husband and she gets caught in the act. And the obvious question is, where's he? Where's the other bloke? Caught in the act. There were two people there. Where's he? Now the only reason he wouldn't have got dragged in, the only reason is because he was mates with the Pharisees and I'll explain that in just a sec. But the woman is, indisp- is dispensable. She's just used as, as this um, pawn to trap Jesus. She has no value to these. Now, they were right. They said the law says we have the opportunity, we have the right to stone you. Listen to what the law says. This is Leviticus 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Both of them, right? The law actually says we should stone him. In fact, the law goes as far as to say it's more his responsibility than it's her 
responsibility. But the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they only spent time with each other. They only ever spent time in their um, sort of uh, circle or clique. And for the woman to be caught in adultery, they had to know where the woman was and where she would be and who she would be with. So they organized and arranged it so they could catch this woman red-handed and drag her before Jesus to test um, Jesus, to trap Jesus in this whole thing. And the guy on the other side of the equation was a religious man, but they weren't about to stone one of their own. What, are they mad? This bloke was completely disobeying the law, and these men were permitting him to do it. Right? You need to understand the, the, the complexity and the tense nature of this confrontation. So the Pharisees drag the woman before Jesus, and they expect him to give them permission to stone her. And in doing that, he would compromise all his teaching. That's what they were after. Now this is important. You see how bad the situation Jesus finds himself in? He did nothing wrong. He didn't welcome it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't put himself in a situation where it happened. And it's so helpful for us because so many of the confrontations, it's not like we've been egging it on and and working towards it and making it happen. We find ourselves constantly in a situation of going, oh no, I don't deserve this, but I've got to now confront that person. This isn't fair that the responsibility rests on me, but I've got to step out there and confront. This is a really messy, complex, difficult situation and I'm supposed to confront someone in the midst of it? What do I do with that? Well, that's when we need to grab hold of this idea of it's confront, not condemn. I can confront. That's a conversation of of love and life and hope and promise. Clarity, honesty, absolutely. But it's not where I'm condemning another person. How do I help them see God's best desires for their life? And if we hold on to that, if we refuse to condemn, we cannot be trapped. And Jesus avoids being trapped. Right, Because he's not interested in condemning anyone. So Jesus asked himself, how do do I help them see God's perspective? How do I help them see what God's best is for them? See, if he walks away, if he just gets up and walks away and doesn't say anything, they stone the woman. It discredits his ministry. If he plays the game, he has nowhere else to go except adopt this moral judgment from the law to say we should stone her. But in doing that, they forsake God's heart. So what does he do? He does something brilliant. He draws on the ground. Just do that. Just like if someone confronts, like you're in a situation where you've got to confront, just, just like ignore them and draw on the ground. He, he, what's, what I love about it is no one's ever been able to understand or work out what he was actually drawing on the ground. And I think that's kind of why he did it. It's like, oh, for centuries, this will confuse him. So good. And just, what was he doing as he drew on the ground? He was buying himself a little bit of time. He's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play into the, the, the senior setting. I'm not going to, oh my gosh, rush to try and answer this. I'm going to pull things back. I'm going to slow it down. And he draws on the ground and whatever he drew, he created some space where he could think about what he might say. How do I help them see what God's best might be for them? Because that's what he confronts. That's what he confronts. He doesn't confront the fact that they were trying to trap him. He would have been right to and he could have condemned them for it. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't confront the audacity they had to just bring in the woman. 
He could have had a crack at that easily. But he doesn't. He chooses not to condemn them. He doesn't walk off refusing not to confront. He doesn't condemn them. He says, let any of you who is without sin throw the first stone. It's, It's like the best response ever given to any confrontation ever. What do we do with that? How does Jesus help them see what God's best might be for them? By reminding them that without God, they are as broken as this woman. And because of their sin, they need God as much as this woman needs God. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with them, with the woman standing still there. Jesus helps them see their brokenness without condemning them for it. It's brilliant. He helps them see their brokenness without condemning them for it. But he can't do that if he held on to his own personal agenda. If Jesus had chastised them for trying to trap him, they never would have caught a glimpse of the grace of God. See, confrontation causes us to choose to, to choose between whose agenda we will champion. Will we champion our agenda or will we champion God's? That's what we have to face every single confrontation. So then he turns to the woman. They've all cleared off. It's all empty. And he turns to the woman. He says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one. And then he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, the only power strong enough to cause people to leave their life of sin is God's grace. They can't, we can't behaviour modify ourselves out of it. We can't try and be better. We can't run away from our sin. We run into more sin. The only way we can be free, the only power strong enough to free us from our sin is God's grace, what he did on the cross. So the Pharisees, they walk off. They drop the stones. They leave their life, their practice, their action of sin They leave this, I'm trying to be holy and good enough and it's not enough to become right with God. And they walk away from it. And the woman leaves her life of sin by realising that she was completely and utterly deserving of death and somehow excused because she was forgiven. She was excused from it. See, both groups, they encounter the love and the goodness of God through Jesus' response and it transforms them. See, when we don't condemn, when we offer grace in our confrontations, it starts to allow God to transform the people on the other side of that. And that's what we want. We don't want them to hurt us again. We want them to be transformed from that. But then we don't want them to be caught up in the lives that they're caught up in. We want them to be transformed by that. And so we have these amazing opportunities in our confrontations to offer grace. But we only find the capacity to confront in this way when we're free of our own sin. When we've realised what God has done for us, that we are completely undeserving of the judgment that's due us and we've been forgiven and excused from it. So why would we want to inflict that on somebody else when we've received that from God? It's like, a, oh goodness, I've been hurt, but that's because you're broken. Receive the goodness and the love of God. Be restored in that. Have this grace that I know from God, because you need it. You need it. And so we're freed from worrying about ourselves when our agenda is sort of pried out of our hands and swallowed up by God's grace. It's this journey we go on through life. 
So this week, let me summarise in like three points. This week when you confront someone, and maybe you'll have a good week and you won't need to, but maybe next week, maybe you think, oh, how does this apply to when I'm confronting my kids and their behaviour? How does this confront when somebody rips me off? How does this confront when I'm, um, I, I'm spending time with the family or with friends and someone says something that, that I'm more sensitive to and I'm hurt by? How do I deal with that? Well, first of all, know that you are not condemned by your sin by God. God does not condemn you. He has freed you from that. So you can lay down yourself and give and pass on that grace that you have. And you can, in doing that, offer something that you think this will help them see what God's best is for them. All right, let's pray. Lord, some of us, um, we're in situations right now where we're holding those stones where we're gathered round and we're looking for an opportunity to hurt and condemn and, and punish. Help us to, 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 to thirst for your righteousness instead of thirst for condemnation. Meet us now. Speak to us that we might drop those stones. That we might realise our own brokenness. That we might run to you and run away from that that darkness that's in that's holding us there. God, some of us sit on the other side of that equation. We've been beaten down. We sit there like that woman just broken and hurting from mistakes we've made and and the hurt inflicted on us by others. Teach us to receive from you like that woman did, how she was led away. She, was, she went and left a life of sin. Help us to, to walk away from those brokennesses and seek you. Do not be defined by those things, but to, to clamor after you. And Lord, empower us by your spirit this week. That when it comes to confronting a person or a circumstance, a situation, that we would confront, not condemn. We would look to uphold and convey your best for them. May your gospel change us now because of your love and goodness. So may it change us and others this week in the confrontations that we find ourselves in. We ask this in your powerful and almighty name. Amen.